Welcome to the Marshall Pro Podcast and your week in sports cars. It's a listener Q&A show, Graham Goodwin. It's a you and I Q&A show. It's a Pruitt and Goodwin flapping our gums show. It's all kinds of things. I can tell you that it is 10.58 a.m. on a delightful Wednesday, that being November 23rd. Tomorrow, Thanksgiving, uh, I call it... uh, pre-Brexit giving here uh, in the States. (laughs) Uh, We uh, we maybe teed that one up. uh, Well, anyways, I teed that up a little while ago. Um, Glad to see y'all decided to follow uh, our lead here and just decide to leave Europe as well. So just as we left you... Yeah, it's gone well for us, mate. It's gone well for us. Yeah, so anyways, it's complicated, but we try not to complicate things too much here on our little show. So why don't we say a... Thank you, as always. Returning in 2023, Cooper Tires, those fine folks who not only make tires for your road vehicles, but also power a pretty decent number of motor racing series as well with their tires. The Justice Brothers, makers of fine automotive chemicals and lubricants, Graham. Long, long history in my life, back from when I was a young mechanic. They... I think I might've mentioned this before, but my father's shops going back to the late seventies. When I rem- when I first remember uh, Pruitt's old English garage, what brand of chemicals, brake clean, carburetor cleaner, all kinds of stuff. Uh, JB 80 uh, lubricants and such. What do I recall being in my father's shop? No joke. Justice brothers. So really, wow. truly lifelong relationship with them. And then finally, torontomotorsports.com, purveyors of pretty awesome motor racing memorabilia, hats, t-shirts, models, stickers, you name it, pay them a visit. And, you know, they too, Graham, this is funny, Derek Koska, who owns torontomotorsports.com, big IndyCar fan, long, long time, lifelong IndyCar fan, telling him in recent years, hey, Keep doing the IndyCar stuff, right? Do the the special edition T-shirts and whatever for Colton Herta, Robert Wickens, James Hinchcliffe. Do all these IndyCar things that you love, but you really do need to think about IMSA. You need to add IMSA into your universe here. They went and bought a uh, mobile merchandise sales trailer, towed around behind Derek's truck. He and our friend and artist Roger Warwick. Yep. Uh, gone to a number of IndyCar races over the last couple of years. Finally, they listened to me, Graham. It's more uh, Derek than anything. And last year, except for one or two IndyCar races, it was almost all exclusively IMSA, to which Derek Mm -hmm. tells me, man, I wish I'd listened to you earlier because it's so awesome. (laughs) And the fans there are amazing. And I uh, met the guys. I met Roger for the first time. I met the guys at uh, Sebring uh, this, this year. And we had a lovely time chatting through and uh, looking at the awesome stuff they got in the trailer there. Uh, proper motor racing people. Yep. So like you and I and, and everyone who's listening, I'm glad we have converted Derek at least. So uh, <laughs> our, our third partner here, TorontoMotorsports.com, can actually get to see them in person. Say hello, Derek. Stereotypical Canadian. Just polite, s- sweet as heck. Very giving. Um, likes wrestling, grizzly bears, uh, drinks, yep. just mugs and mugs 
of maple syrup at all times. So yeah, I mean, he, he ticks all the boxes, but, uh, you get to meet them. So if you're at, uh, most of the, the higher profile IMSA races, you'll probably get to see the uh, Toronto Motorsports trailer there. This past season, they looked after FAF Motorsports too, which I understand mm-hmm. was just a monstrous success. So that's all the, uh, little bit of business up front mentioned two other quick things, Graham, and then we will dive into our questions assembled by our friend and listener. Daniel Summers Gill, our friends, the the listener group that has formed around the podcasts, the Prue Day, mm-hmm. mentioned last episode that one of their leaders, Cassie Johnston, she a resident of Indiana, put together PrueKids.org, P-R-U-E-K-I-D-S dot org, all done with the goal of raising charitable charitable dollars charitable money to help buy Christmas gifts, gifts for the holidays for extremely underprivileged kids in the greater Indianapolis area. Last year she did it, raised enough to bless 33 kids, set the bar higher this year and created a whole website for it where you can go and donate of 42 kids, Graham. Well, (laughs) uh, late last night, Cassie sent out a tweet saying, reached double the Indy 500 starting grid, 66 kids, uh, more than $6,600 have been raised at about a hundred dollars a kid to buy all the gifts. Stunning. Yes. So just a huge thank you as well. I know many of you here, listeners here went and helped whether it was a dollar or more, whatever the amount, thank you so much for helping to do this. Just a great community of fans of the sport. Uh, a lot of great members of that group, Graham, the Day, And I forget to mention this uh, on a, any kind of regular basis, so uh, certainly my fault. Everything here is my fault. We already know that, though. Uh, if you want to join the Day, what are, what do they do? They're just, it's fans. It's not a Facebook group. It's not, it's more just a group of racing-infused fans who love the sport often rally around the show here, talk about topics, hopefully make a lot of fun of me, maybe you, you, although you don't deserve it. But um, uh, I think they participate mostly uh, privately via Twitter and then also Discord. But if you want to join the group, and a lot of the folks there, as I've learned, met in person as well, Graham, they've become like real friends, folks who just joined the group and kind of formed it. And a lot of folks have come in and found uh, real awesome new family members. And it's a lot of talk about racing, a lot of not <laughs> racing, all kinds of fun stuff, but it's just a family. So if you're looking for some new members, uh, to join Day rocks at gmail.com P R U E D A Y R O C K S Day rocks at gmail.com. Just send a little email saying, Hey, would love to join. And one of the leaders there, maybe even Cassie herself, be the one that reaches out and brings you in so that and then the final little note here i've just finished rendering i think about seven or eight new uh retro vintage imsa gtp races uh from mostly 80s and 90s i will be producing those and then uploading those to my youtube page and as i uh, urged or asked last time around i'll keep doing this for a little while if you are a purveyor of the YouTubes, would suggest 
you might pay a visit to uh, YouTube forward slash Marshall Pruitt. Check out my YouTube page because that is where I am posting all of this stuff. It's not going up in any of my client sites, Graham. It's just okay. for us. So pay a visit there, subscribe, and you get all the uh, the latest, freshest, oldest, even newest, uh, mostly vintage racing content. A lot of it sports car related, especially here over at least this American holiday. Well, Good I can add, add a little bit of a bonus for you here, MP, which is something what? I've not told you I've done yet. Oh, jeez. But I go. have. Now, um, back in the days when we had Stephen Kilby working full-time on Daily Sports Car. Hello, Stephen. Indeedy uh, doody. Um, he used to put together periodically a thing called Friday Night Film Night, uh, where he would uh, have a look through uh, particularly YouTube, but other uh, uh, outlets as well, and, and, and curate a Friday evening selection um, for uh, our readers to enjoy. Uh, so what you'll be seeing from this Friday for at least the next three weeks is my curation of a selection from your um, what uh, YouTube page. Well, so gonna be, at the moment, there are three. There might well be four by the time I'm done. Oh, trust um, me. As soon as I start uploading some of this, Graham, is going to be more. Uh, trust I, me. I, I can tell you that the lead um, piece of film in the first selection actually did bring a tear to my eye. I mean, it, it was, I didn't know this existed and I'll tell you what it is. And I think it's 2008, uh, in car at Sebring in a Ferrari 430 GTC Alan. narrated by the driver, yep. Alan Simonson. Yep. yep. That was, that was really sweet of him to do that. And, uh, yeah, uh, boy, do we miss him, but yeah, that's, I want to jump into the show here, brother, because we could talk all day about this. But <laughs> that's that's an ongoing initiative of mine, and it'll take yep. a while, maybe years, I don't know, but tucked away in the closet in my office here, I have a box filled with mini DV digital videotapes. Uh, those are the things that I used with my mini DV uh, video recorder 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, whatever, before that thing died. And I got the next iteration of it that just moved away from actual uh, digital video tapes and just went to uh, uh, cards. But I have all of those, all the things that I used back in the day to capture America, mostly America Le Mans series, but also my covering each year at the 24 hours of Le Mans. I have all those tapes and those were all used back then to produce content that went up on speed.com uh, here in the U S most now granted it's not, although it's HD uh, it's not super big HD. It's HD of back in that day, but I still need to go through all those tapes, pull out tons of stuff. Uh, yeah upscale those to more modern HD numbers and sizings and such and post those because as I think I've mentioned here before, when a couple decades of content on speed uh, went away along with the TV channel and website, it truly all went away. There's no yeah. recess on the interwebs where you can find the stuff, all the videos, all the everything, all gone. So I just need to go back and pull a lot of that stuff out. And so you mentioned stuff like this with Alan. I've been finding more and more of these uh, on old hard drives and whatnot. So there's a goal here. 
I guess, personal curation, if that's the best way to put it. But man, I did so much of this stuff back in the day and I just got to find it and and bring it back to life. And I'll chuck all that stuff on my YouTube page when I do. So, uh, Hey, we got a show and I think we should do it. And we got questions and we should get into them. And the first one here, uh, this one is perfectly matching the one I wanted to ask first. We are going to thank Hank McCarthy opening the show. It was Graham Goodwin after getting interviewed by Dinner with Racers. <laughs> How old do you think Sean Heckman is? Um, that wasn't my specific question, but hey, uh, our friends at Dinner with Racers just did their latest uh, digestive dump yeah. of, uh, <laughs> of podcasts. And now both members of the weekend sports cars show are have been dinner with racer tell me about the experience when did it happen what happened how many times did uh, heckman just randomly take all of his clothes off like he did again uh, in our interview uh, tell us it's, about it's you it's got to stop it's got to stop well i mean um I, it was daytona between the raw and the race so it's taken this long for them to get their sorry asses together and get this thing online. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that was always the case. I mean, this is, I think, what they call their Thanksgiving drop. Uh, so there is indeed uh, a pod with me, um, amongst the others, Ollie Jarvis, uh, Rennie Rast um, is on there, John Morton, I think, is on this current uh, drop yes. as well. It's uh, a great, great start. And Townsend Bell, a double, uh, uh, a, a two uh, party with Townsend Bell. Um, Great fun. They, uh, you know, you know the guys well. Um, Ryan, I've known for a lot longer than Sean Heckman. Uh, met Ryan on my very first uh, professional trip to a race meeting in the USA. He was working, I think, as a mechanic at the time in the paddock at Daytona, the Rolex 24. Yep. Uh, and Sean came to know about Sean, of course, uh, with his extraordinary work, particularly for Magnus Racing back in the day. Um <laughs> It, it didn't feel like an interview. It felt like a conversation, and that's what these things should feel like. So I think you and I enjoy this format. You know, we're not – there is a format to it, but it's 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 nicely loose, and it allows us to spiral a little bit with the, the listeners. And it's the same, I think, with, with those two guys. They've got a great format there, um, and it does allow people to open up, show personality, be themselves – you know, um, and it's not a kind of sterile format. So, you know, are, are you hearing literally everything that happened in that conversation? Not quite. You know, there's about 10 minutes of stuff that'd be on the cutting room floor, I think. But that did not feel like a two-hour conversation. That felt like, you know, a late breakfast and early lunch with a couple of friends. And that's the, the best way to do these things. And, um they had, of course, mined the waters by speaking to a couple of your and my mates uh, about me. So they came prepared with a few um, bits of wisdom and a few uh, leading questions. But that's all good fun. Uh, my attitude to it has always been my self-defense mechanism is humor. And I use it and I expect to use it, have it used against me. And, and I thoroughly enjoyed the process. So, you know, if you want to spend two hours um, hearing this voice drone on and on and on uh, over your Thanksgiving uh, period of time, uh, my 
American friends, uh, then feel free to do so. I, I thoroughly enjoyed doing it. Um, I've heard uh, had some very nice messages from a couple of people who've listened uh, that seem to enjoy it too. I've already listened to Renny Rast, so that's great fun. Um, and I'll say this as well, by the way. It's been something that's been around for a little wee while. There are other podcasts available in this kind of space, and the space for all of us. Uh, I think that was part of the message in talking to those two guys. I'm very happy to give them uh, airtime, both here talking on our podcast and also through the pages of Daily Sports Car, when they've done great work in exactly the same way as you know we just talked about your YouTube page. And there are others out there that I'd be entirely happy to help with giving them a little bit more. Um, there is space here. We, we should right now be taking all the opportunities, shouldn't we, MP, to scream from the rooftops how good this sport is, um, trying to kind of just pretend you're the only ones in a single marketplace. That's just, that's nuts, is the straight answer. So, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Please do have a listen. Um, and as always with these things, and the same with, you know, the weekend sports cars and the weekend indie cars, um, do make sure that if you've enjoyed it, just drop a note on Twitter or on your chosen social media and, you know, make sure that you copy in their sponsors, our sponsors as appropriate and let them know that you're enjoying that content because that's important because it helps us to keep doing it. Absolutely. And let me just add a little bit to that. <clears throat> so we launched uh, the overall, the Marshall Pruitt podcast went live. I just looked up the date. I think it was again, May 8th or so. 2016 so six years six months and 15 days ago wow it feels like a lot longer than that but that's just <laughs> well um yeah, yeah. how's this uh you've had a lot going on in the last six years mate. Uh, it's not even that it's just um we when we post this episode it should be episode 1342 uh, that's just a polite way of saying we really enjoy podcasting. And so therefore we do a lot of this. And so over the six, six and a half years, um, yeah, we do this a lot because we really enjoy it. I just say that because although the opportunities or reasons to mention don't come up that often, but if not for Sean specifically, I don't know if this podcast would exist. Uh, okay. When I was at Speed in around 2009, I think it was, my memory fails me a little bit, 2009, 2010, uh, they said, hey, we want to get into the podcasting space. And I said, great, I have been wanting to do that as well. And they said, okay, uh, well, um, let's try and do one. And so I went and bought a not inexpensive amount of equipment to do that. And it took week, maybe two weeks to finally do all that. I don't know if I was in the middle of traveling or whatever, but it wasn't going to be an overnight thing. So it took me about two weeks to go uh, source everything I needed, go went to the guitar center and bought pretty almost everything that I needed. Got all of it, brought all of it back, brought into the office, said, okay, cool got it all going to set it all up and then you know try and give this a whirl and was told okay uh by the way 
a guy who produces some radio for us uh, said he could do it, so uh, he's going to do it for us. And I'm like, uh, you know, they don't let you really take this stuff back after you buy, you know, expensive-ish uh, stuff like this because folks do that all the time. Hey, uh, we're going to go do a show uh, and then just bring the stuff back and it doesn't cost us anything. So I wasn't too happy with them, but this was supposed to launch a really long time ago. It didn't, uh, was invited on to season one of dinner with racers. Did that. I think, I don't know, uh, September, October, 2015, something like that. Graham, uh, those episodes came out, I think around December or so. And, uh, looking intently at everything that Sean set up at the restaurant. We went to the smoking pig. Um, um, like, okay, well, I already own a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but, uh, Oh, there's some other new bits and pieces. And so I think towards the end of December, maybe early January after dinner with racers had launched and was, you know, huge reaction, huge success as it deserved. Um, reached out to Sean and said, Hey man, um, I've been wanting to do this for a while. Um, but technology has changed a lot. Um, the methods to do this at a high level are now way easier than what it was even just five or six years ago. Could you give me some suggestions on uh, what, where, and why? And so he said, Hey, a couple different podcast hosts you might consider. And, uh, I ended up going with one of them Podbean, which uh, has been phenomenal for us. And he recommended mm-hmm. some gear and I bought some of that gear. And so uh, it was Sean granted. Could I have figured this stuff out on my own eventually? Sure. It probably would have come with a lot of massive mistakes and buying a, of a lot of stuff I didn't need, but really truly indebted to Sean uh, for taking the time along with, uh, I guess, a friend of his, one of his folks who helped produce uh, back early in the day. And uh, yeah, so we are doing what we do here, launching whatever it was, six, eight months after uh uh, dinner with racers launched. Um, I, without a doubt, uh, say huge thank you to him. Um, and without Sean's help and influence, um, I'm sure would have got this going at some point in time, but not as easily and smoothly as, uh, and quickly as I did as a result of him. So there you go. Uh, by the way, now 8.6 million, uh, podcast episode downloads on Podbeam. Uh, congratulations for that. Uh, because there is a growing community of people who keep in touch with motorsport through this medium. Um, I think people feel a lot more involved. It's good to see that all sorts of different formats that are just not just a kind of a monologue. Monologues have their place, but you know you can cope with uh, that for so long. But uh, delighted we found that that niche and that others are finding theirs. Um, but you're right, good people without a shadow of a doubt, uh, Sean Hackman, and. Um, it was good to spend some literal FaceTime with him uh, to chat through some uh, some on the record, but a few off the record conversations about issues of mutual concern. And yeah, uh, more power to them, more power to this moving forward, MP. And you it's spoke about quite, the uh, the journey. Lo- you spoke about the lost episode with them too. So one of these days, <laughs> I hope that I hope that comes out. You know, um, oh, I doubt it. Another thing too, and this is just it isn't meant to be a a criticism towards those who've fallen off, but more an appreciation for those like the dinner with racers and some others who continue when the pandemic hit 
and a lot of folks in our right. hemisphere were uh, stranded at home and bored and whatever. It seemingly everybody at once said, "Hey, I'm going to start a podcast," um, <laughs> and they did, and they went away very quickly. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I will. This does involve a little bit of attitude and ego. It's not hard, right? This isn't digging ditches or or doing breaking rocks for a living, um, but this does require. A lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of persistence, a lot of, you know, this isn't something that tends to just slot into a day normally or easily. It either happens early or late and it takes away from other things. And so, yeah, it was interesting to see just a flurry and it wasn't specific to sports cars, just across everything. Hey, F1 podcast and IndyCar and this and that. And and boy, those things came and went as soon as the uh, pandemic was over for so many, not all, but for so many just leaves me with a, a further state of appreciation for those who whatever podcast y'all happen to like and download uh, in addition to this one uh just big thumbs up to those who were yep. yeah e- and again even for those who started them in the uh during the pandemic and have continued continued with them good on you not a fad something real uh and, and congratulations yep. to all who've had a little bit of uh, success there we'll mention too that once we are done with this episode, I'm going to hmm. produce it and post it immediately. And then I'm okay. going to do my Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show, which I'm only a week okay. overdue and doing. And then I'm going to do two or three others. I want to have five that go up today uh, so okay. that folks, at least here, getting ready for a travel-related holiday and Thanksgiving, have uh, a decent amount of stuff to tide them over. So Brilliant. Uh, why, don't, why don't we... I'm going to just duck back and forth here and confuse the heck out of you uh right turn lover says conventional wisdom has a gram that lmh is more expensive than lmdh yet the niche and exotic brands with low to no car sales are all in lmh and and yet the lmdh slash gtp ranks are full of well-established high car count brands explain or speculate please so yes all the ones who have tons of money to play by and large, yeah. they're going with the cheaper route, and the boutique ones—they're so, doing the spendier yeah. versions. Why? So, what you're saying, my Swiss friend, is that Ferrari is spending more money on their cars than the LMD. Who'd have thought? Um, the answer is conventional wisdom is incorrect. At least, so says the one person who has brought a boutique LMH to the track thus far, and that would be Glim Jenkinhouse James. Yes, indeed. So Jim Glickenhaus, who, if you knock at his door, um, after he's called the police, uh, will happily take 2.5 million uh, from you for a customer SCG007. That is something like half a million less than Porsche would take from you for an LMDH. It is, of course, not as simple as this is cheaper than that. There is a whole range of factors that come into play. The LMH manufacturers the big manufacturers there are three of them it is ferrari it is uh, peugeot it is toyota are all going down that route for a variety of reasons it generally tends to be to do with uh showing off their design language looking at you peugeot showing off their technology again i'm looking at you peugeot and toyota uh and indeed ferrari ferrari famously 
um, not fans of having things in their cars, or at least publicly declared in their cars, that are designed by anybody else other than Ferrari or to Ferrari's designs. Uh, as for the boutique manufacturers, this, I'm sure, is a reference to the story that was breaking at the beginning of this week, which uh, featured, we can now say, De Tomaso. Now, De Tomaso sources, very senior sources within De Tomaso and their program, suggesting that they are eyeing the potential to go racing with an LMH version of their gorgeous P72. What do I think? Do I think we'll see that car anytime soon? Highly unlikely is, is my view. I think it's an aspiration and not a reality. Um, I think there was, as always, there are people within that company that would like to see things coming forward. They'd like that to be where the money gets spent. Um, the reality is you've got to put the money into um, making money, not spending money. And uh, as most of us know, going down the motorsport route is a surefire way to spend some of that money. The other um, boutique manufacturers, you're right about Glickenhouse and Jim Glickenhouse telling us just a couple of weeks ago that he's actively planning uh, for whatever program he can pull together. And that uh, discussion seems to be going well with the ACO. There's the Van Wall, Van der Vel, Van der whatever. Um, and we'll wait and see whether or not that is accepted as a uh, entrant. It needs to take a lot of boxes before it gets that far. But the, the time is coming very close to determine whether or not that car will be on an entry list for next year or not. And the other one that we know about, of course, is Isotto Fraschini. Um, and that effectively is a Michelotto program um, with clearly links to another emerging boutique manufacturer using uh, a historic brand name. They have a car. They don't have a racing budget. Um, quite how much that cost. I have absolutely no idea. Why are the um, the LMH boutique manufacturers going down that road? I think it's quite simple because I don't think the LMDH chassis manufacturers have capacity for them. So if they're going to do something, they'll do it on their own volition. The difference, of course, with the proposal for De Tomaso is their proposal was based, as was the original Aston Martin Valkyrie, around a racing version of a road car. Um, the first since Valkyrie was cancelled that we've seen uh, even put its, you know, the tips of its ears above the parapet. Um, we have plenty in 23. We can have plenty more in 24. There are still more to emerge, both on the customer and the uh, the factory sides, you know, and that if it's going to happen, will happen in the next three to six months and we'll see and hear more about it. Will any more of the boutique manufacturers make it to the track? I genuinely, sincerely hope so. We talked, you and I, MP, way back when about the other end of this equation, which is the garage Easts, um, the, the people putting together their own program. This is a bit more budget heavy and brand heavy than that but the same basic principles apply people do like a bit of variety and they also like a bit of david and goliath uh, and i think if we had just a sprinkling of these efforts uh, in what otherwise looks like being a packed top quality grid in hypercar and the wec and maybe in gtp less likely in gtp because of the 
the rule set in IMSA that talks about the levels of cars you must build. But if we had just a sprinkling of those, I think that would add something quite special. Amen. Uh, We're going to go to Andrew Baca, the Baxter himself. Yes, itself, their self, all selves (laughs) contained in one person. Can we take a moment this week to be thankful that sports car racing is once again free of financial criminals that we know of. Ha! Uh-huh. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, that's a great reminder, though, Andrew, and I thank you. I'm going to make a note here. There are two, uh, two crime and motor racing stories I have yet to write about. Granted. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, one they're good of, ones. One of, yeah, one of them is fairly well known. I just need to write about it. Uh, the JC, whatever his name was, the Chupacabra. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that kind person. And then another one involving uh, a auto manufacturer's factory racing division that was taken for a a decent chunk Ooh. of change through some improprietous behaviors. Oh, but by the way, if if you are going to do another one of those absolutely excellent roundups, please do remember to call me and ask about the guy from the soup kitchen. Okay, um, off we. That's go. a story we can tell on the weekend sports cars. It's a cracker, and that the name that came up in a, an infamous story back in the day has been back on my radar relatively recently it's an extraordinary tale of a an individual with absolutely no resource whatsoever taking almost the entire sports car racing industry for an absolute ride whoa i love it so that's one to write uh what do we go to steven ellis says sorry for sending this in a second time but my goldfish's grandson's third cousin's life depends Mm. on it good one we told you the more threatening or just randomly uh worrying uh your resubmissions are the greater likelihood they'll get you so steven ellis chef's kiss perfection uh steven says graham once the wc includes gt3 cars Mm -hmm. is there any indication as to what might happen to super sebring um Okay, he says his cat Blue says hi. Yes. Oscar says hi. So yeah. does Tango. You can and go to hell, Blue, the by the way. Uh, I'm, not putting, <laughs> you know, I'm not putting up with that anymore. You, you, you make a serious um, apology first, then say hello. I think if things go as we expect them to go, by the time we get to GT3, which will be 2024, uh, it will be a two-class WEC. That's what we expect to see, hypercar and gt3 whatever that class is going to be called with or without some kind of performance kit on some of the cars um i see no reason at all why that should affect super sebring if that is still something that wec and imsa want to maintain and i see no reason why they shouldn't because it has been a bit of a smash hit hasn't it so for me when gt3 comes along uh wc will look very different um I know there are those that will mourn the passing of LMP2 from the WEC. LMP2, by the way, not going away. It just won't be in the non-Le WEC races, or at least all bar maybe one of them. Um, I think it's going to be 
a significantly more promotable product worldwide when what you've got are effectively brands. You know, we're not having to explain what an Orica Gibson is um, with the utmost respect to both of those organizations, both uh, build superb products. We're going to be in the world of talking about Porsche and Ferrari and Toyota and McLaren and Aston Martin and Corvettes. And all of a sudden, there is a significantly wider audience that can buy into that process. So as far as the calendar is concerned, so I'm not quite sure where Stephen's correlating GT3 arriving with Sebring going away. As far as the calendar is concerned, um, there's a story I'm working on at the moment, which is it's quite difficult at the moment for the WEC to move away from the calendar they've got. And I think if we're going to see a race added uh, next year, and we are, um, it is very likely that one of those rate, the additional races will be geographically very close to another existing uh, flyaway race because the cost and the time that you now need for global logistics has gone up massively uh, over the last two or three years with the, the challenges the planet has been facing. Um, that could mean another Southeast Asian race. I think probably not. It could mean another US race. I think probably not. Or it could mean another race in the Gulf region. I think probably yes. And I think the other thing we will see change in the calendar as the calendar moves forward is I think we're going to see at least one and maybe two of the European dates um, uh, rotating with other tracks coming in. I think, you know, we've got, at the moment we've got, uh, coming up in 23, Portimao, uh, we have Spa, we have obviously Le Mans, and we have Monza. So that's four circuits from the seven race calendar next year. The other three, of course, are Sebring, Fuji, and Bahrain. Um, of those four, I think it's highly possible with the demand we're seeing from both the circuits and indeed from the manufacturers and the markets they would like to, to be addressed, uh, that we might see some of those European circuits without two and three year deals, that you might see Silverstone come in, you might see the Nürburgring come in for maybe a year, maybe two years, and then back to Monza or back to Portimao or back to Barcelona or somewhere like that. Um, that, I think, is what we've got coming up until the point where you find uh, a funding model that makes the air transportation of the field more sustainable than it currently is. At that point, the large gaps we've got on the calendar that are enforced upon the championship by the need, the economic need to, to travel by ship freight becomes less of a challenge. And then we start having the opportunity to think about a little bit more globe trotting. But right now, um, you know, I'm sure you've all read and heard elsewhere people moaning on about there being calendar clashes. I'm not going to go over again why there are calendar clashes because we've done it at least twice before on the weekend sports cars. But I fundamentally believe that there's not really uh, a massive option to avoid that, and it comes with the the economies at the moment of global logistics. 
and the timetable that is enforced upon the WEC by the length of time it takes to ship freight from Sebring to Europe and from Europe to Japan and forced further into that template because you've got to have a gap after Le Mans for the realities of the supply chain and logistics that required after such a massive race meeting. So, no, I hope we don't see the end of Super Sebring. Um, I think uh, we expected that to be quite good. It's been better than quite good, and COVID, damn it, uh, got in the way. But third iteration of that coming up in 2023, and I expect it's going to be another smash hit with two packed grids of top quality cars and hypercar in the WEC on the Friday and GTP in the IMSA Weather Tech Sports Car Championship on the Saturday. Going to add in here similar topic from F1 underscore Finn mentioning with uh, every niche obsolete coach maker long thought dead brand from Europe making their LMH plans public now <laughs> about some exotics from the US maybe a front wheel drive cord yes <laughs> mm. a Tucker tornado etc I love that all right we're going to continue Graham a um, yes. couple more questions here before we say farewell and I'm just going to keep going with this episode's theme of me just chucking questions at you That's I like fun. that yeah yeah uh we're going to get to uh, a brand in 1987. I think my junior year of high school had a, a young classmate uh, pronounce this brand as Pugiot. Um, John Schultziot says, was it the right decision for Pugiot to compete in the second half of this year's WC season instead of testing privately? He says, personally, oh, a bit of a fail there, John. Uh, should have been hashtag me personally. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Porsches are significantly more reliable than the Pugiats at Sebring next year. So should they have stayed private or should they, or did they make the right decision by actually air quote testing in competition? Well, we'll know at the end of the Sebring 1,000 miles, won't we? Uh, my view is... You test and test and test. You've got to race at some point uh, because that's where you find out what's going to break it. You cannot simulate a race. You can't um, because it throws up so many uh, things, you know, that you can't. Other, I mean, let's put it this way. You turn up at Portimao and it's raining. You decide not to go out in the rain. You make a conscious decision uh, if you're testing. You turn up at Portimao and uh, it's a race weekend and it's raining. You've got to run. You've got to go with, with what is thrown in front of you. My view for Peugeot is they've now learned at least three or four things that they needed to fix on that car. Um, and and whilst I completely hear what you say, we've seen some spectacular figures coming out of uh, both the Porsche and, for that matter, the Cadillac uh, camps in the uh, GTP LMDH uh, testing in the, in the States – They've not raced yet. It simply isn't the same. Uh, are they disappointed? They are disappointed. They, I think, were hoping to have a pretty trouble-free run uh, under the lights at Bahrain. It didn't happen for either car. Uh, but, you know, this is a technology showcase. You know, it's all very well. We can get very blasé about the fact, oh, yeah, it's hypercar. It's it's dumbed down. It's it's not. You know, this is, this is cutting-edge technology. Uh, under the skin of those Peugeot cars. And here's the thing. They're learning to, to, to race. 
they're learning to hope to win and they're learning more and more about that tech. I don't want to make any calls here until we get to, I think Super Sebring MP is going to be a weekend for the ages. I mean, can you remember a time when we had two major international series on the same weekend with such a galaxy of almost brand new cars? Um, you know, two completely separate grids, completely separate races, completely separate rule sets, but using the sort of same rule set in the top class to very different ends. And I I can't think of a race meeting other than the 2023 and 2024 Le Mans 24 Hours that has got such a potential feast for the eyes and the ears, for that matter, of fans that are going to be, you know, privileged to be trackside and watching it. I I can't wait. Uh, so, no, for me, I think Persia have made absolutely the right call. I think they'll learn more. You know, I think they are probably in a better position to go out and win Le Mans than maybe Porsche are. Well, second that notion and the reason for that seconding, John, private testing, you can certainly learn a bunch of stuff. There's always, with a new vehicle, there's two primary purposes, objectives of what goes on in testing. One to obviously learn about the performance capabilities of the vehicle and to hone those capabilities to as sharp a point as possible. And then there's to find any bugs, any issues, reliability problems. I mean, that's one area where you can learn, right? Something breaks at the recent Sebring 24 plus hour test among where I think at least three of the four uh, GTP manufacturers, Graham participated here. Um, one of them cut their test short because they blew a motor, uh, in the middle of that test. I'll ref maybe it's been mentioned somewhere else. Um, I'll, I'll refrain from naming the manufacturer, but they packed up and went home when, uh, the lump behind the driver went kerblamo. And if they felt that it was just some sort of random thing, easily explainable, uh, not a major systemic concern. They could have chucked in another motor and continued that test. They didn't. So they obviously felt whatever caused it to explode was way outside of, of expectation parameters, whatever, whatever thing it was that caused it was clearly something they felt we need to hit the stop button, pack everything up, go home and get to the root of this. Bottom line, though, at this phase, Peugeot certainly fits into the learning about the car's capabilities while also trying to learn about it, its liabilities, the uh, reliability issues or big areas that need to be improved. You can certainly learn a lot of those things in private testing, but those tend to be somewhat controlled environments, Graham. And that's why I love this move because they are not the masters of their destiny when they're running those cars uh, during an official WEC event, whether the ambient conditions change, whether it's the other cars on track that force them to behave in ways that aren't perfectly controlled, you know, by themselves or just a couple of other prototypes on a privately rented track, 
taking different lines, having to break sooner, break later, dodge cars and avoidance because something weird happened. You end up putting the vehicles through a lot of things that you just would not think to do and really would also not be natural for drivers to do if they're just out lapping and lapping for hours on end. So it's the real life variables that a race weekend will bring where I love the aspect of Peugeot's decision to do this. Uh, So complementing their private testing with some, hey, let's go rattle this thing around in in a real race event and do that some couple of times also we're learning about that track itself in maybe a, a more relevant manner than we would if we were just testing on our own rubber being put down by other cars and so on and so forth this is a really smart move by them that should benefit that benefit them without a doubt uh why don't we go to our pal tice berendrick because graham you said during the broadcast the eight hours of bahrain that pugiat is getting ready to make customer cars available um no, i don't think i did well, i don't think I, I i think they're open to it um i quite when they're open to it, it's a different matter uh, don't think i said that tice um I, I, I think there's an interesting question about peugeot bahrain but it's not that question the question is just why did they invite uh, an array of talent to test the car on the rookie test. We should have had Stoffel van Dorn. Unfortunately, Stoffel was down with um, appendicitis, I believe. Uh, Jan Erlache, um, the nephew of Ivan Muller and uh, world touring car champion. The mercurial Milty Jakobsen uh, was there. And Maxi Gunther um, was there to test that car. Uh, there's one of three things could be a factor here, MP. One is they're just all-round charitable guys at Peugeot Sport, and they just felt that was the right thing to do. Um, The other, or the next one, is that they are not 100% happy with their own driver choices, um, and there might be a change coming. Or the third is that they might be eyeing the possibility of a third car for Le Mans. I tend to kind of edge towards the latter explanation for, but otherwise why would you spend an entire day when you are looking to get development testing handing the car over to four guys three as it turned out that aren't actually in your program yeah that, that's the question that occurred to me uh, as for customer cars i think peugeot might be amongst the first of the punch i think that is distinctly possible quite when that would be i don't see it in 23 uh, I'd have thought far more likely in 2024. I think for in the case of some of the manufacturer cars, we absolutely know um, that it won't be in 24 for um, customer cars. I think, again, we're, we're down here to two major issues. One is supply chain. It is a massive, massive issue. And the second part of it is not wanting to compromise their factory programs. And that's a live debate at the moment in the world around Porsche 963s, for instance, about what is driving the dates by which the private uh, teams will get those cars, both the first cars we now know about 
and any prospective second cars for 24 or 25 or whenever they might arrive. It is a very live debate at the moment about where the priorities lie uh, at, at Porsche Motorsport. Going to take two more here, brother. Uh, first one comes from Danielle Pugiat Summersgill, uh, who okay. asks, what is your opinion on the suggested banning of regular pit stops during full course mm -hmm. yellows in the W to the E to the C, also known as hashtag weckety weck. Uh, Daniel says, hashtag me personally. It is a good idea as it removes the random slash luck element which has ruined the which have ruined entire races in some classes like GTE Pro Bahrain says if you were to ban regular pit stops during FCYs uh, would not remove a strategy component as it's just getting rid of luck what do you think um i think there needs to be uh, i don't entirely disagree with daniel i think there needs to it's almost like you don't want to lose a degree of randomness in an endurance race. You don't want to lose that, oh, you know what, they looked in there. He's absolutely right. It did ruin GT Pro. It gave the Ferraris a lead they were not going to lose without help. Um, and it's not the first time that's happened. Um, I, I All I would say is this. I hope if they make the change that they monitor it and are not too proud to say that they need to change again. That that for me is the is the the true sign of a mature racing organisation that they need to be ballsy enough to make a change that they know will be unpopular in some regards. They need to be able to justify that change, but they also need to be um, aware enough to actively monitor the effect that those changes have had. Uh, I you know I can tell you there there certainly is a quite um, open conversation underway with a range of stakeholders in the world of ACR rules racing about the way in which cautions are managed both in the regular WC races and at Le Mans. Um, I'm, I'm a late adopting fan of the way that IMSA does this, but only for their major endurance races. I've said it before on Twisk, I'll say it again here. I do think they need to think again for their two-hour and 40-minute races whether or not the way in which they manage yellow uh, is altogether appropriate. Uh, it just seems to take too long. Now, whether or not that's because I professionally am pouring over every detail in every minute, I'm not a TV viewer, um, and that's an important marketplace for IMSA, but I, I'm of the opinion you shouldn't be afraid of not invented here. There's a good idea out there and you think it might work. Give it a whirl. Um, if you do give it a whirl, don't be afraid at the end of the season to say, that's not work for us. We're going to change to either something different or indeed change back. Um, it, it is that, again, that issue that when you're dealing with something as complex as this, there needs to be a culture of openness to any idea and then if that idea hasn't worked speaking truth without consequence is a massive thing for any mature organization and that that applies very much so when you're dealing with a sporting organization and one where safety is at the core of it so for me I, i'm uncomfortable with it but then you see what happened at 
Um, Bahrain, you think, well, yeah, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been like that at all, would it? We wouldn't have seen thirty seconds gifted simply because of the timing of an incident that uh, happened just after the Porsches pitted and before the Ferraris. But you've got to say it this way, guys: the Ferraris earned that opportunity by being more efficient on their fuel. If they'd have been on the same um, you know, fuel strategy as the Porsches, they would have been in the pit lane at the same time and there wouldn't have been a gap. So efficiency paid in this case. What this will do is to remove that in, that part of the incentive. So, yeah, all sorts of, of things in the offing, lots of changes coming for next year, both in terms of the cars and also the rule sets, and more still in the, in the years that follow. Um, my opinion, let's give it a go, see how it goes, not be too afraid to say no for 2024. Going with the flow. So we've been trying to and have been successful in keeping our shows to about an hour or less mm-hmm. of late. So why don't we uh, why don't we continue that trend? Take one more here, and then a suggestion, Graham. If you are free, I don't know, maybe Friday, Saturday. Mm-hmm. We have a, a decent amount of other questions here to get okay. into. Yeah, many of them, again. many of them from folks who I think sending in items for the very first time, and so. Uh, want to respect the many uh, seriously the probably 10 12 folks i think uh submitting for the first time plus we have some more on facebook to uh add to the mix so why don't we do a second round here just a little later in the week perfect Um, and we'll close here uh lance snyder you of course not a question but a statement uh did Shank racing feel they needed to compliment the brains of blomqvist so they brought in the brawn Hang on, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Just, just make sure this gets, this gets airtime. Just imagine this. Oh God. <laughs> uh, we're we're gonna close the show here with Mister Good Andre, also known as Andre Good. Talking about customer cars, we're there, we got more to go on customer cars too, but we'll do that uh, in our, our follow up episode. He asks, is there a danger of Porsche being the only manufacturer? to provide customer cars for a LMDH slash GTP similar to Cadillac and DPI. Bit of a, a timeline question, right, Graham? 2023 mm-hmm. maybe being a very different thing than yeah. 24 and beyond. Why don't you, uh, why don't we close on this and you are well stuck in on who might be doing what and when and who okay. won't be cracking open that customer door at the launch of this new formula. Uh, I think the answer is you've seen what you're going to get at the launch of the formula, and that is Porsche. Um, as for the aspirations of the other manufacturers, I can tell you um, of the manufacturers that are so far declared. And remember, that does not mean the manufacturers that we're racing in 2023. I am aware of two uh, for definite with active plans. Uh, this is, by the way, the LMDH uh, cars, not the other cars to lmdh manufacturers with active plans to welcome uh, customers ferrari have already told us they're fielding interest in the 499p we've already talked about peugeot and what might happen there we already know that jim glickenhouse would love it if you would turn up with two and a half million to plonk onto his desk and um drive away in a 007 
to enter as a... So if the answer is, <laughs> when you're staring down the barrel of a recession, it, it does feel uncomfortable to say, almost certainly you'll see more. If things go the way they should, I expect there to be a significant customer marketplace in the coming next few years, okay? And that's even before we get to the stage where you get to the end of this uh, this immediate golden tsunami, if you like, and some of those factories decide our factory program is done, but these cars can live on in private hands because that's another factor that needs to be taken into account. So the, the, the thing that I'm hearing the most about MP is the industry is buying into the smart move to make the homologation from the very start with these cars quite long and with the, the high likelihood that that, level of homologation will likely see an extension um you know that doesn't mean say you can't evolve those cars in terms of the look of the cars or even you know the the rule, the rule book and you know allows those those cars to be developed as things kind of move forward i i hear what people say when they say this could be a real bubble for two or three years and then everybody's gone i'm not looking at it like that i'm i i'm seeing here there are a number of potential safety valves in this rule set that should see us come through this amazing um, bubble of uh, manufacturer interest to the point where there will still be manufacturers around in multiple years' time. But my guess is that the the, the well-funded privateer uh, cohort that supports that will still be there and will be there in greater numbers than either of the top classes of WEC or IMSA were before we started. Does that make sense? It does. You know what else makes sense? Saying goodnight. You taking us home. I will indeed. Um, thanks so much again for everybody uh, on a short call for questions. Uh, there's, oh, I think it's a great idea, by the way, MP, to do a part two for this week. Thanks for sending those questions in. Thanks again to Daniel Summersgill for putting those together in very short order today uh, on a short call. Thank you, you, MP. Um, you've had a busy week on a whole range of fronts. And at this time in your country, it's a time to give thanks. And I give thanks to the fact that you're still with us. Happy anniversary to you in Chabral this week. Um, happy Thanksgiving to all of our American listeners. Um, I still don't understand what it means because I'm from the UK and we don't do that here. But I know how important it is on a very deep level to you and your families. Have a very happy Thanksgiving week. We're going to say thank you to the other people that make this possible, to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and the Toronto Motorsports.com. And we're going to say goodnight uh, from the week in sports cars. I've been Graham Goodwin. He has been Marshall Pruitt. This is part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast. We will see you, not next week, but later this week. Good night. Did you say he's a has-been Marshall Pruitt? I love that. That's got to be the new <laughs> <laughs>